the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow underway on this Wednesday edition. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop here and Old Smoky Moonshine. You can find us on YouTube. Search out Outkick through the YouTube channel. Hope you'll subscribe to the Outkick channel there. And we hope that you'll like and share the uh, shows. You can find all the shows at the Outkick channel on YouTube. Chad? Jam-packed show, plenty of headlines and discussion to dive into. Trey Wallace will join us from Outkick.com. College football and SEC headlines, plenty there. That'll be in 20 minutes. Plus, Mark Harris, also from Outkick. He will help us preview the PGA Championship. Steve's off tomorrow at Oak Hill. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Ready to go. Jump in that chat if you're in the YouTube, but watching right now in that YouTube room. Yeah. You can get in the chat room and let us know what you think. Maybe we'll pop a few messages up on the screen today and react to those. If the Western Conference Final is going to be like game one between Denver and L.A., we are in for a treat. Because while Denver nearly blew that 14-point fourth quarter lead, uh, Jokic was outstanding. I mean, just phenomenal. And Anthony Davis brought it as well on the stat line. LeBron, too. But it was Jokic that was the storyline because he joins Kareem and Wilt in a postseason stat line that we may not see again for a while. Incredible. I mean, six triple-doubles in these playoffs alone. Dominant. Uh, The third guy to have a 30-point, 20-rebound triple-double in the playoffs, and it's his second and Wilt and Kareem each had one. Uh, it is uh, amazing what Nikola Jokic is doing. And look, this is a guy that I think is the hero that the NBA needs right now. Two years ago, it was Giannis Antetokounmpo. He led the Milwaukee Bucks their first championship in 50 years and became an international sensation in doing so. The Greek freak became a nickname that everyone knew and everyone loved his game. Nikola Jokic is becoming that same thing these playoffs. And I'm not saying that he's just come out of nowhere. The guy won two league MVPs, not this year, but the previous two years. But winning a championship matters. And getting to the finals matters. And that is what he's trying to do. And if he continues on this pace, that's exactly what he's going to do. The Denver Nuggets of the four surviving ABA teams is the only one to never reach the NBA Finals, much less win an NBA championship. This is what Jokic is trying to do. He's a humble superstar. Yes, He's got great personality. He's got unorthodox game. It is almost like you're watching a different sport. When you watch this guy go to work against some of the best in the world, and right now he is going up against the best defender in the world, and Anthony Davis, and the Lakers only made their comeback when they took him off of Jokic and started playing a different style in the second half. Hutton, I agree with you. If what we saw in that second half with the Lakers making that push, we get more of that now that Darvin Ham adjusted at halftime with how they were defending the Nuggets, we are in for a treat of a series. And they were going to have to fill this out because they don't have Dwight Howard there to back up the, 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 the depth that would be there in previous years for L.A., you know, to, to go at Jokic. And instead, it's it's going to have to be an adjustment game to game. Jokic is going to get his. But the pick-and-roll game that he has with Murray and other, I mean, it is it is a lot of fun to watch the two play. Well, and the moment, as we're seeing some footage, if you're watching, of Nikola Jokic <laughs> just going to work last night against the <laughs> Lakers, just doing it all. Uh, that shot that he hit to end the third quarter over Anthony oh, Davis. Yeah. And the look from Anthony Davis of both amazement and anger 
at Jokic. Like, you dude, are me. you are you serious? And you can even say Jokic did sort of the uh, the Michael Jordan locker room attendant shrug when he wins the game of quarters against no him. Doubt. Like, sorry, man, uh, you're right. That was ridiculous. But I'm just feeling it right now, and these are the types of things that I can do. And he did it time and time again in that game last night. It's just it's incredible to watch a guy that big and that slow, but, but that smooth. skilled. Yes. That smooth. knowledgeable. I mean, LeBron James has been called a basketball savant, and I agree the way he plays the game and the way he sees the game. Nikola Jokic has got the same sensibility of people around him, of what to do in certain moments, of how to just elevate high enough. He's six foot eleven, doesn't have to elevate that high. But angles of how he shoots, angles of how he passes, incredible to watch. And I'm all in on this Nuggets team. I'm fully rooting for them. I'm also rooting for a good series. And I think we're going to get one against this Lakers team. But that adjustment at halftime to move Anthony Davis, the defensive player of the year in the NBA, off of Jokic, and then the Nuggets counter to get Anthony Davis out in pick and rolls and pull him away from the basket – this chess match we're going to see now between these great players, these basketball savants, yeah. mixed with how these coaches respond from game to game, Hutton, I'm all in. The next basketball savant, the Don, uh, who already wears the crown of the next generation, is headed to the San Antonio Spurs. We'll get into that uh, coming up a bit later uh, with the French sensation. But speaking of the NBA draft lottery, the interview between... Uh, on ESPN with Adam Silver and Malika Andrews uh, was dominated by a variety of topics. But the main one that's making the headlines is, of course, Adam Silver's discussion on Ja Morant and the most recent video, which came out on Sunday, of him yet again on Instagram Live holding a firearm. Here was Silver's reaction to Malika Andrews. What did you say to him about how much more severe it would be if he did this again? Well, we, we talked directly about the consequences first before we got to a subsequent um, potential to have done something wrong. We were very focused on the misconduct that was in front of us at the time. And, and frankly, most of our conversation was about how incredibly serious the first incident was of waving you know a firearm on you know on social media and again you know the, and the consequences there an eight game suspension was pretty serious and something that he at least to me seemed to take incredibly seriously in that time and we spoke for a long time about not just the consequences that could have on his career but the safety issues around it um, could have injured, maimed, killed himself, someone else with an act like that. And also the acknowledgement that, as you said, he's a star. I mean, he has an incredibly huge following. Yeah. And that my concern, and I thought he shared with me, that millions, if not tens of millions of kids globally would see him as having done something that was celebrating in a way you know that that act of 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 sort of of of, of using a firearm in that fashion and so i at least was left um with the sense that he was taking this incredibly seriously so honestly i was shocked when i saw this weekend 
that video. Now, we're in the process of investigating it, um, and we'll figure out exactly what happened to the best we can then. It's, again, it's the video's a bit grainy and all that, but I'm assuming the worst, you know, and, uh, but we'll, fi we'll figure out, you know, exactly what happened. There's uh, Commissioner Adam Silver of the NBA with Malika Andrews from the NBA draft lottery coverage last night. Chad, I, I listened to Silver there, and I think he hit a variety of the topics and issues and worry that we have been discussing now for weeks and over, over a month now with the continuation of incident or video or just stupidity from Ja Morant over a string of a couple of months now either that being reports about something that happened in summer of last year or in regards to what he's doing on Instagram Live or what's being shown in footage while his team is on the road in Denver. Point being, I take Adam Silver for his word when I hear this, thinking they he absolutely went through the consequences for Ja Morant's actions. And yet here again, less than two months later, even the commissioner of the NBA is saying, He's shocked and stunned to see the social media video surface on May the 14th after they met in March. And I can't help but think that a swift and severe punishment's headed John Morant's way based on the fact that while grainy and they're having people look into this Instagram live video, there's no question what he's doing. He's waving a firearm and there's enough evidence there for Silver to jump on and say what he said with Malika Andrews, who was getting hounded on social media for, you know, how dare you ask the questions to the NBA commissioner about the, this storyline with John Morant, which is ridiculous because in, in part, the reason why he was a part of the playoff push and the playoff um, overall play for the, the Memphis Grizzlies while he was on the roster is because Silver believed him. He said that whenever he took that hiatus, went down to Florida for a couple of days, flew to New York, met with Adam Silver, and was slapped with the eight-game suspension. Eight games seemed light at the moment, Chad. You know, eight games was based on, based on the policy which was in place, which if you bring a firearm on a team facility, on a team plane, if you're traveling with it, if you have it at uh, anywhere, if, if they could have proven that it was on the plane in the hotel or what have you, it was a 50-game suspension headed his way, but they couldn't, and they released that in a statement. And they also, Silver also said in a statement that he felt like Morant knew what he had done was, was wrong, and what he had done was putting others and himself at risk. And the other factor here is the immediate jump to defend John Morant yet again, yep. which is coming both from social media trolls. Well, and from those that are covering the league. Yeah, we'll get into one of the defenses of John Morant here momentarily. Um, shock is the right word. I, I thought Adam Silver handled it, handled the, the question well when saying that. I mean, I, I was shocked when I saw it on Sunday that oh, you're telling me that there's another incident of him on Instagram Live with a gun in his hand. Yeah, and that it was. It doesn't recent. shock me that you know there's not an, an, another incident, but that it's the, pretty much the same exact thing that just got him popped for eight games. That was pretty shocking, and imagine how shocked you are if you're Adam Silver and you actually had the one-on-one -on -one interaction with John Morant talking about the consequences of these decisions and hearing from him how he's going to change and how it's not going to happen again. So I understand that level of shock. Anyone who takes issue with Malika Andrews doing her job, 
this is why identity politics are going to ruin this country in so many ways. If you think that Malika Andrews on an ESPN broadcast, that her first priority should be carrying some sort of race card and not asking pertinent questions because it may make a black person look bad and that Malika Andrews, as an African-American, shouldn't ask the question and should not do her job in order to prop up someone of a certain race, that's a big issue. That, that is racism. I'll say it. That's what it is. You wouldn't want it going any other way that way, just like I wouldn't. She's doing her job. So anyone who takes issue with her asking that question to Adam Silver, it's the biggest story in the NBA right now. Of course she needs to ask that question. So uh, these are trolls for the most part going after Malik Andrews, but people legitimately think this way, and I think it's ridiculous, and it's why identity politics are a big problem right now in this country. She did her job. She did it well, and I thought Adam Silver handled the question well, and now you've got Dan Patrick and others reporting it's going to be half a season that he's going to get. They're looking into 40-game suspension, a 40-game suspension for Ja Morant. Well, and the, the protection of Ja Morant and the delicacy of which they treated the previous suspension, that's now out the window. And that goes for everybody involved, from the NBA to the media covering it, because now it's all on John Morant. And part of the problem with why this happened again, while it's on John Morant, we can't just sit back and say, oh, well, don't ask those questions, and just another slap on the wrist is fine. That, that can't be it. And when, while there are certain... Players, former players, you certainly have commentators and analysts that are saying something has to be done and it needs to be harsh compared to what we've seen from the previous suspension because clearly that didn't get through. There are those like J.J. Redick who go on ESPN and want to say, well, why are we bringing the hammer down on someone who didn't break the law? We can go into the backstory of the incident with uh, the teenager, Jaws, claiming self-defense that the teenager threw the ball in his face. We can go into the incident at the mall when he yelled at his security guard. We can go into the incident uh, with the Indiana Pacers traveling party. As far as we know, all of these things have been investigated and no law has been broken. I'm not condoning the behavior. I'm not saying there should be no punishment. There should be. There should be consequences. You are the face of the league. You are representing the NBA. You are a role model to young kids. All of that. I don't think half a season is the right answer. And the last point I want to make is you bring this up. The guns on social media. We talk about consequences. Look, in our country right now, gun culture is pervasive. We've got mass shooting after mass shooting, and nobody's doing a damn thing about it. So I get why we're so sensitive to this right now. But there's no consequence for Greg Abbott telling his constituents that they should go buy more guns, and then we have mass shooting after mass shooting in Texas. There's no consequence for an elected Tennessee official to send out a Christmas card holding AR-15s with his young family, and then there's a shooting in his very district. There's no consequences to that. So why are we, why are we trying to lay down the hammer on a 23-year-old who didn't break a law? Explain that to me. Well, both can be true. And Chad, you stated this on Monday. Both things can be true. Both can be stupid. Both can be punished in different ways. Uh, one could be could lose votes the next time the election rolls around. The other is up, up, has to uphold whatever's in the collective bargaining agreement and whatever the meeting was about. 
with Adam Silver, and it's the string of incidents that's leading down a path to where we can see everything crumbling for John Morant. And the two, the two in terms of the debate, don't link up based on behavior of one player and mass shootings, which Chad and I have certainly laid out where we stand on that too, and the coverage, oh, and on whose coverage is worse, this side or that side, and actually trying to find a solution to the overall issue. And in many ways, instead of tr trying to ask, okay, how do we find a solution for John Morant and actually make sure he doesn't throw everything away, it's how stiff should the penalty be? And, oh, that's too harsh because we're seeing it elsewhere. So it's acceptable in this case. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everyone should be on the side of anti-mass shootings. I don't think that's a stretch to say that. And I think it should be universal that you don't say the name of the shooter, regardless of what side politically you fall on. If you want to point out the shooter is, is one thing or not, just don't say it. Let's not, let's not glorify it. And I find the whole glorification of guns to be extreme right now in the country. And to get to what J.J. Reddick said, first off, what Reddick is saying, it, this isn't even apples to apples when you make this comparison. This is apples to dragon fruit. It's not the same. Okay, and I want to go there. Yes, I think Greg Abbott uh, telling everyone they need to go out and buy guns is is odd. Just like I think Andy Ogles, the the representative here in Tennessee, posing, posing with his AR-15s with his entire family and young children. What planet are we living on when I see that? It's very, very weird. Now, what those guys are saying, though, is you have the right to protect yourself Gun violence is a problem. If you are a law-abiding citizen, you should be the ones owning guns, right? Now, if I'm an elected official, I'm not going out of my way to take photos of AR-15s or tell everyone to go out and buy a gun. But what they're talking about is a lot of gun violence in the inner cities, places like Chicago and Washington, D.C. Now, the flip side of that is the glorification of gun culture in the inner cities with rap music. With what we're seeing with John Morant. That's exactly what it is. Where it's it's cool, right, to have a gun on you and to, even if you're not living what many would say would be that life, it's cool to portray yourself as living that life. So we're looking at two different ends of the spectrum of glorifying gun culture. I'll raise my hand. I think it's all dumb, but J.J. Reddick is making yet another false equivalency. If Andy Ogles or Greg Abbott has a history of pointing a laser pointer at a, another political party's bus and being investigated for that with a gun. Uh, if they punched a teenager and said, I'm going to do something else to you and went and got a weapon, then we would be judging those photos or those statements very differently than we are with John Morant. So again, not apples to apples, apples to dragon fruit in this scenario. And what John Morant is doing is very dumb. I think the over-glorification of gun culture in any way is foolish, especially right now when we see this mass shooting problem we have in this country. But J.J. Reddick is making a false equivalency. It's not the same thing. And when you do that, Hutton, and we, we know this, when you take your eye off the ball and you immediately go to, just like coverage of any mass shooting, when you take your eye off the, okay, here's the problem, Let's try to assess the problem. Let's all work towards a solution. Mm -hmm. Instead of on a sports show, 
like J.J. Reddick's on, and you're talking about the John Morant situation, and you say, no, 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 don't look at this ball over here. Let's look at this one. It's a magic act we're doing. The real problem are Republicans in Texas and Greg Abbott and that gun culture and not this gun culture. No, the John Morant gun culture is a big problem. And what he's glorifying and what he's rapping about and what he's showing and what he's doing in a strip club is also a huge problem in this country, and he doesn't need to be representing that as a star in the NBA, and the NBA needs to assess it. No one's saying he should be arrested or that he's done something illegal, but the NBA is going to have to deal with it and deal with it harshly. Well, it's, a, it's more of just all talk but with no solution. Yep. Uh, and, and very uh, headed in the circle yet again uh, in the news cycle in coverage of Ja Morant, and in large part, that cyclical coverage led us all to be shocked yet again, even though at the time we knew it was a slap on the wrist. Shannon Sharp called it a drive-through therapy session that he took down in Florida instead of a six-week deal, yep. drive-through, and then he's back into the NBA. That can't happen again because the guy's way too talented and has hate, way too much to lose, and he's losing it right in front of our eyes. That should be the focus of this story, this individual story. Coming up, what's the story from the ACC spring meetings? Some programs are wanting more of the pie, the financial pie, than others in order to say they, they can compete with the SEC and the Big Ten for the long haul. Trey Wallace joins us. We'll discuss that and much more straight ahead on Hot Mike. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike. Funny Withrow. Outkick Network includes the YouTube page. I hope you'll subscribe while you're there. Search out Outkick and you can find all the shows. Trey Wallace. You can find the Trey Wallace podcast at Outkick.com. Trey joins us weekly to talk all things SEC and college sports headlines. Trey, hope you're doing well, man. Gentlemen, doing well on this uh, Wednesday. Lots of news uh, coming out over the last couple of days, so especially in the last 20 minutes. So it's, uh, it never stops, guys. So happy to be on. Well, let's start with the ACC and the meetings that are going on where the ADs are zipping up as far as discussing uh, revenue share. But we certainly know Florida State is not doing that. They're not staying silent on the fact that they believe that they deserve more for what they bring to the conference. What have you heard? What have you uh, been covering at OutKick based on the discussion points of the ACC trying to keep up with what we know is going to be a revenue windfall for the Big Ten and the SEC moving forward? Yeah, Jonathan, you know, it, it all comes down to, to what Florida State, you know, Clemson, Miami, what they see themselves as, what they view themselves as when it comes to, to monetary uh, situations involving the ACC. Um, if you look around the conference, you know, a game between Clemson and Florida State is going to draw more viewers than a game between Wake Forest and Duke or, or Wake Forest and Pittsburgh. No offense to those schools. So you look at what, you know, Michael Alford, the athletic director at Florida State, is, is saying right now is like, look, we deserve an, an uneven revenue share here. We deserve more money than some of these other schools. And it's because of the amount of revenue and the viewers. Um, and the digital ads that Florida State and, and, and a few others bring in. And, and, and I don't blame them. You look around college football right now, guys. Vanderbilt makes more money 
per year than Florida State and Clemson do with with their television agreements. And and I and that's not a shot at Vanderbilt. That's just reality. I think when you when that when that sets in for these ads at some of these schools, knowing that they cannot get out of their deal with ESPN, guys, this, this deal is like locked up in a vault. They're, the only way to get out of it, you're going to have to pay $120 million, but then also you're going to have to give up revenue when it comes to television rights wherever you go until the end of the deal in 2036. So you're looking at $400, $500 million in total. So there's no way to get out of it. So the next step is how can we get as much money out of the ACC as possible without leaving? And I think that's what we've seen over the last few days down in Amelia Island in Florida, um, that, that they're posturing. And, you know, to me, it's it's not a uh, coincidence that the interview with Michael Alford, the AD of Florida State, came out the same morning that the ACC ADs and commissioner were meeting to open up the, the spring session. I, I think it all fits. So, there is there's a little bit of probably a little friction uh, in the first couple hours of that day, but this is all part of a plan. Well, and but does the plan actually meet the criteria for what Alford's discussing, though? Like, what, what's the magic number? And is there a number to where they can actually stay competitive based on what Alford is saying, the AD at Florida State, compared to what the ACC has available and what the others would be willing to vote on? You know, there's there's not money. There, there's not that money right now. And and you're looking at it, you know, Michael Alfred said yesterday, there's no magic number. Well, the, the figure that oh, I've been told, you know, they could they can make up to about 10, eight to ten million dollars more when it comes to incentives, when it comes to payouts from making a, a playoff game or making a New Year six game or drawing better ratings or or, or getting a a 6.1 or something like that on the TV. There's incentives they're trying to build in that would make these schools happy. The last thing that they want is for Clemson, Miami, Florida State, North Carolina, Virginia, a couple other these schools to say, okay, we're out. You guys go figure out what you're going to do. We're going to go try to find somewhere else. And that is a big risk. But I think when you get back down to the level-headedness of all of this and just think about what's best, the best thing right now is try to find more money in the deal that you're currently in. And, and if you can't, you know, e here's the thing, too. ESPN is not going to go back to the ACC and be like, okay, we know you guys are dealing with some stuff here. We'll, we'll renegotiate this. We'll give you a little bit more money. No, the ESPN just got the Southeastern Conference with a massive contract that's going to pay these schools and the SEC upwards of 75 to $80 million a year. They're not going to go to the ACC and give them more money just because Clemson and Florida State are pissed off. So, you know, in, in Miami as well. So you look at the situation that they're in right now. Um, I, I, I think it was a little bit of a balk when it comes to saying, oh, we're going to leave. And now they're just trying to figure out, man, how can we just get some more money in this darn place we're in? Yeah, and and it, Phillips talked about, hey, it, it didn't hide from it. There are two conferences that are leading the way, and we got to close the gap a little bit. You know, we're the third, but we got to close the gap to number two, or people are going to be unhappy. But you look right. around at the media landscape right now, and layoffs happening a number of places, Trey. 
Um, I don't think there's a lot of networks rushing to spend a lot of money on anything other than the NFL and something that yeah. they already possess and really want. So Pac-12, ACC's locked in for a long time, but these, these leagues that are looking for media deals, they're in trouble right now. So this leads me to ask you the question, is it just a matter of time before the Big Ten goes ahead and adds Oregon and Washington because it can give them a little bit more money and completely put the Pac-12 out of a Power 5 discussion. Yeah, I mean, it's built into these contracts way, way down deep in there. If you add teams to the contract, we can go back and have good faith negotiations when it comes to to more money. Um, I, I think that's what you're going to see. I think, I think Oregon, I think Washington, they are the teams that I would look at the Big Ten and say, okay, we hit up California. Now let's get a little bit of part of the Northwest. So you add those two teams in there and then you get more revenue share when it, when it comes to the deal with Fox and NBC, let's not forget, you know, a, a lot of people don't, you know, think about this often. They wait till college football season gets here. This new television contract for the big 10 starts July 1st of this year. So you're going to see primetime games on NBC. You're going to see primetime games that in the past Notre Dame might get, now they're going to be shifted out of that spot, and the Big Ten's going to – so like Ohio State and, and you know, Penn State or whatnot, that game could be on NBC compared in the past where, you know, the number one game would go to Fox. So I, th I think there's a lot of wiggle room and a lot of leverage right now that the Big Ten has, Chad, and I feel like if they can, they will. I, I don't see it happening in the next two years. But three to four years from now, I, I do see further expansion from the Big Ten. And that's why I'm very interested to see what Michael Alford, and I wrote about this today. Like, to me, it felt like a ploy. This week felt like a scare tactic from Florida State to the rest of the ACC saying, hey, we'll leave. We'll write the check. Like, if it comes down to it, we'll write the check for the betterment of our school. And I think, you know, calmer heads prevailed over the last day or so, but that was a warning sign. So when you look around expansion, realignment, college football, I just don't think we're done yet. When you look at this NIL legislation in Missouri, while it's certainly beneficial to the University of Missouri to start to possibly pay high school athletes and keep them in state and help them land in-state recruits, Trey, walk me through how a, a state government can say – not only is this legal in our state within the laws, but you can't judge us for this or levy any punishment, NCAA. I don't understand how that works and how they can write that in the law and where the NCAA couldn't just come back and say, well, you're not playing by our rule book, so you're out. So Missouri is pretty much like, okay, what are you going to do about it? I mean, it, it really comes down to it as a state. You know, They're trying to well, like, get here's, involved. Here's an example. What if, what if the state of Texas just said, any salary cap in sports is illegal in our state. And since the NFL is based out of New York City, New York, you can't let level any punishment against the Dallas Cowboys, regardless of how much money they spend. You, it's illegal for you to do anything if there's a salary cap violation. Well, the NFL would just say, all right, goodbye. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand how that works. Well, it's, it's almost like they're testing the NCAA's power when it comes to this because, you know, Missouri is just trying to catch up with what California and Florida and a couple other states are doing when it comes to high school athletes. So, it, it, you know, when you when you look, you know, if you look at the crop of talent in the state of Missouri, you know, compared to other states, Georgia, Texas and whatnot, 
let's be honest, you know, a lot of it comes out of the St. Louis area, but outside of that, you know, you get into a situation where maybe there's not as much talent. So you have to be able to secure the guys and be able to make the ones happy that are there right now when it comes to NIL and let these guys profit off their names, you know, at an earlier stage than when they get into college. And I think, you know, I think it's the right move to make. I think that the NCAA is going to sit here and try to enforce power and try to say, okay, well, you're wrong. You can't do that. We're going to look into it. But the state is like, okay, well, come try. Because all these other states are following down the same path. have already laid that out. So what are you doing about the others? You're going to try to come after us. Missouri's just trying to see if they're going to bluff. And, and, I, and I don't blame the state because, you know, you look at it right now, the Missouri Tigers, you know, they, they have got to, they have got to be more beneficial when it comes to, to NIL. Uh, the numbers that are coming out of Columbia, Missouri right now, um, they're, they're not earth shattering compared to what you're seeing from other schools. And, and, and if they can find a leg up, per se on, on how to, you know, keep some of these guys in the state, then, then they're going to do whatever they can. Don't, don't get it wrong. I mean, it, it's not like the state of Missouri was like, Oh, we're just going to help out, you know, uh, our, our high school athletes. No, 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 no. This goes through the universities and the, and the schools in that state that are going to benefit from this in the long run as well. So we'll see what the NCAA does right now. I, I just, it's, you know, they're sitting there with their hand to the head. Trey Wallace with us from Outkick.com. Uh, Rayola commits. He's headed to Georgia. What did you make of his reasoning why he's now a Bulldog quarterback? And what does that mean for the further recruitment of wide receiver for that, for that program, which we know is going to be ramped up based on the fact the five stars there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's massive for Georgia. I mean, they missed out on Arch Manning. And, and once they missed out on Arch Manning, Kirby Smart made it a point that they weren't going to miss out on the next best quarterback. Um, you look at Raiola, uh, Dylan, the kid's got a strong arm. He's going to draw a name. He should come in there. And, and, and in my opinion, you're, you're probably going to have a first-year starter. Now, I know that's a lot to put on a player, and he's still got another year of high school, okay? So let's not really get ahead of ourselves too much. But – I, I I think that the buzz is right for this situation. I, I think that they're going to be able to go out and recruit, like you said, wide receivers, you know, they'll be able to come in there and, and it's just, it's just refreshing the crop of players that they already have. That, that's all they're doing. And, and when you look at it, he'll probably have a good enough amount of time to get adjusted to the program with Carson Beck, who I think is going to be the starting quarterback for Georgia this season. And, and overall Kirby smart, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if realize this or really go into it. Kirby Smart was pissed off when they didn't land Arch. And, and it, there was a, a sense in that room of coaches that we better go get the next guy. Don't screw this one up. Because a lot of people thought Arch Manning was going to end up, you know, at Georgia when he's talking about all oh, the winning ways and I want to go win championships and you know, people are like, oh, well, he can't be talking about Texas winning championships. And and there was a lot of scuttlebutt towards Georgia. So what they did was they 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 went out and found the next guy the next year and said, okay, we're going we're going to make this happen no matter what it takes. Um, I was about to say what well, matter what it costs, but I mean, I think that would fit right now in college athletics anyway. So hey, credit to Kirby Smart and them for going out and finding their guy and uh it's going to be uh, pretty interesting in the next couple of years in the conference when it comes to quarterbacks. Yep. And do you think that the coaching staff at Alabama had the same reaction Kirby Smart did by losing Manning when Alabama lost out on Riola? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, look, Alabama thought that they were in on it for a while, then it finally trailed off there towards the end. But then, you know, Alabama sitting in a situation right now where you've got Ty Simpson, you got Jalen Milrow, and then you have to go out and you get Tyler Buckner. They're looking towards the future as well, you know. And and they're go look, Alabama's going to get a five star quarterback, but I don't know if they'll be as good as Dylan Riola. I don't think they're going to be as good as Arch Manning is going to be at Texas. Um, but you know, it's, it's a sense where, you know, Nick Saban is, uh, I, I, he has not fallen off one bit, but the quarterback situation at Alabama is very dicey for the future for the first time in a long time. And I think that should worry some Alabama fans just a little bit. What do you have on the Trey Wallace podcast this week? Yeah. Mike Griffith from the Atlanta journal constitution actually joins, uh, we, we scatter around the sec, uh, in the ACC, Talk about the upcoming spring meetings that are going to go down and Destin in a few weeks that I'll kick will be at um, lots of things on the table when it comes to, you know, gambling. Uh, I'm interested to see what Greg Sankey has to say with that. Um, and then the big one on the table is the scheduling format. I do think that we're going to know uh, which way they go. I think that we're going to see probably some permanent opponents uh, get leaked out uh, down there and, uh, the future, we'll see what happens, but um, it's never a dull day in college football, guys. No doubt. Trey, appreciate you, man, as always, and uh, we'll be reading your work and uh, checking out the podcast. Guys, have a great week. Thanks for having me. There's Trey Thanks, Wallace, Trey. SEC reporter for Outkick.com. A lot will be a lot of news will be made at the SEC spring meetings. No doubt, and then a lot more will be made at SEC Media Days coming right here to Nashville. Yeah, that's right. Hey, coming up, we air our top grievance of the week. Primary complaint is next on Hot Mike. Hit us up on social at Outkick, and you can find us on the YouTube channel as well as, well as this great radio partner, Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow, rolls on across the Outkick network. And every Wednesday at this time, it is time for Primary Complaint. It's time to air our top grievance of the week. You can complain all you want. My job is so unfulfilling. It's time for Hot Mike's primary complaint. Guys, my primary complaint this week, Apple and iPhone, they are rolling out new technology that will be able to learn your voice within 15 minutes of setup time. And they're pushing this as, um, oh, for those who are uh, under a certain condition, impaired, and they you know, they're going to lose their voice over time. You can record this and it could read a text back to you, for instance, in the car, in your own voice, uh, different things that you could do online. And that's all fine. But it wasn't that long ago that I remember getting a warning saying, hey, when you answer the unknown phone call and they're trying to ask you, hello, are you there? And within like three words, they all they want is yes. They want the word yes, no, and like your name. And then they could take that recording and like break into different uh, bank accounts and all this stuff. Everyone was paranoid about that. And they're saying they have the technology to keep all of this safe and secure for every user. I'm not buying it. It's going to create chaos. AI is taking over. It already has. And yes, before you even complain about this, they're already listening to us. That's my primary complaint.
Ladies and gentlemen, there is a fashion trend happening right now that is very, very disturbing. And I see it every day right out here outside this door at 6th and Peabody in the bar area and outside. Young men wearing super tight shorts. This is the new fashion that's out there. Really? And it's a real thing. And I'm seeing way too much of the real thing every time they wear these tight shorts. I'm not, about, I'm not talking about 80s short shorts or the movement to shorter shorts again in basketball. I'm talking about really tight, form-fitting shorts. Now, Like aerobic pants? Years ago, no, just shorts. I know, Year, but tight like that? Uh, not, not necessarily. <laughs> it's more like a, a nice short that has belt loops that are just really tight. Um, and I've seen it a lot more lately. So we go back in the history of this just a little bit. <laughs> Years ago, there was a move with yoga pants and, and joggers, right? Leggings for women. Uh, this was great twofold. One, women like it because it's very comfortable. And two, men like it, you know, for obvious reasons also. This new trend doesn't serve anyone well. Women don't like it. Men normally don't like wearing really tight things also. So I don't understand the purpose of seeing every crevice of manhood that walks around the bar area because they're wearing super tight shorts. Please make it stop. I like to get off the horse now. Shorts are one thing. Great Tim Robinson sketch. <laughs> shorts are one thing on men that should be a little bit looser. This is something mm. that does not need to be tight and form-fitting. I need to. You need to leave a little bit to the imagination out there, fellas. <laughs> Are you wanting to go this back is my to like primary complaint. 2002 baggy shorts NBA era? Is no, that what you would... I, I think, look, the pants I wear now are tighter than what I wore in 2003. I think like fit, tailored pants and shirts are good for men, you know, as time goes on. But there is a short that it's, it's something with the material. And you're saying leave, leave some room for a, a boxer brief. It's translucent. No. I'm seeing, I can, I can see the size. Is gotcha. what I'm saying. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm seeing everything, and that's it's disturbing. Davey? Well, I'll take you back to 2004 for my primary complaint, because my primary complaint is not about one of the greatest movies of all time, and that is Dodgeball, a true underdog story. You guys mentioned it a little bit at the end of the show yesterday, but it's the idea they're going to come up with a sequel. We have Dodgeball 2 in the works. While I love that they're getting pretty much the entire cast back together, the idea of doing a movie 20 years, specifically talking about the comedy aspect, it's not worked out well in the past. You talk about Dumb and Dumber 2, Joe Dirt 2, Super Troopers 2, Zoolander 2, and now we're going to do Dodgeball 2. We don't have to recreate everything just because we run out of ideas, guys. But I, I'll watch it, but man, <laughs> I am not... I'm on the fence, dude, because I don't... It's not going to ruin the first one for me, but just the dodgeball legacy in general. It's one of those things I don't well, think they should touch. I didn't think Hangover the Two dodgeball was dodgeball legacy. <laughs> you know, like I know you, you know you, you know that I. Know I mean, that it's I know it's you. a great movie, but it's hilarious. You're talking about the dodgeball. This Davey, this complaint has me triggered because I love that there's going to be a dodgeball. Too. Well, as long I'm as I'm on the, the complete opposite the, of this. The cast is back, though, right? That's the key. There's, they're not. It's not just Ben Stiller and. A bunch of new no, actors. No, I pulled up an article. Vince Vaughn is in it. Uh, that's all I know of the cast right now. Okay. It said, uh, this was like an article for Parade. They said it's going to have, obviously, Vince Vaughn, Ben Stiller, but they're also going to have William Shatner, Christine Taylor, uh, Justin Long, Stephen Root, Jason Bateman, Alan Tudyuk, Hank Azaria, Gary I mean, it's, Cole. It's got the, it's got the it's crew. It's got uh, Jason Bateman as the color analyst in the dodgeball. They said David Hasselhoff and Chuck Norris. Both are going to be There's also going to be a Wedding Crashers, too. Chuck Norris. 
They're oh, really? Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson are, are they're they're in talks right now to make a wedding crashers too. I'm all for it because I first off, like you make a bad Indiana Jones movie or Star Wars movie, then you're kind of messing with the legacy. I love Dodgeball. I'm not concerned about the legacy of Dodgeball from 2004. And if it's bad, it's bad. You know, what, what have we lost if they come out with a sequel that's bad? Wedding Crashers, same way. Love Wedding Crashers even more than Dodgeball. They could screw it up, but who cares? It's still, the first one's great. Some things are better off left alone. The first one's good. So I, just go I, back and watch the first one. I do lean towards, hey, I wish these guys would just collaborate and make a new movie from scratch. The Dodgeball legacy. Instead of the... <laughs> You know, We're going to find out if it's going to get better or worse here soon. It's treating like a Bourne movie. Getting better for <laughs> the San Antonio Legacy. Spurs. They win a generational talent in the draft lottery. We discuss them next.